Talk on WMNF, hosted by WMNF uh, 88.5 in Tampa, Florida, also the True Talk podcast. On today's program, we're going to be speaking, of course, on our continuing coverage of what's happening in Gaza. And uh, Summer, can you uh, introduce our guest? Yes, uh, good morning, Ahmed, and good morning, all listeners. I'm very pleased that we're going to be to Adam Johnson, who is co-host of the podcast called Citations Needed, but he also uh, writes Intercept. And uh, if our uh, listeners would like to go, I'm going to read the article that was actually, it's an empirical study that was on January 9th. And the title is Coverage of Gaza War in the New York Times and other major newspapers heavily favored Israel. And analysis. So I'm very happy to have Adam with us. Adam, when I read the article about two weeks ago, I was beyond shocked. I read it today to her again for this uh, interview. And I actually was today I uh, the office of my country where I live. And I used some of this information uh, in order to make a point why Americans don't know really, some Americans don't know what's going on. Uh, before you tell us about uh, this study, what prompted you, and I think you have a co-author with you, what prompted you to look at these, uh, I think, three newspapers, New York Times, Washington Post, and LA Times, and then guide us through the way you have collected the information? Um, well, so the a data researcher who's anonymous because he is Palestinian-American and he has a, a sort of day job um, and for obvious reasons didn't want to get in any kind of trouble. He reached out to me and said, I have this data I'm working on. I have an anonymous substack where I'm trying to sort of do media analysis. I'm a fan of the show. Would you want to take a look at it? And I looked at it and I said, well, this is, you know, the stuff's really interesting and there's a lot of insight here because he had done certain, he had done a more quantitative analysis of media Whereas mine usually focuses on qualitative with some quantitative thrown in there, but wasn't very rigorous. And he was an, he's an Oxford trained sort of data scientist. So he knew how to, how to <clears throat> sift through a lot of cable news and, and newspapers, which is actually harder than you'd think. Um, a lot of people think it's, you can kind of just, there's some system in place that exists, but he, he in many ways created one and created a lot of proprietary code to do that. And so we worked on a piece back in November <clears throat> detailing cable news bias, specifically CNN MSNBC and Fox News, so sort of standard media criticism. You kind of find three examples and you use that as a data set to try to uh, extrapolate out broader trends. Um, and we found many of the same biases that we discovered uh, when we analyzed the New York Times, LA Times, and Washington Post, which are kind of three major newspapers, geographically diverse, one East Coast, one West Coast, one kind of in the nation's capital. And it's this kind of sample size to kind of be representative and fair. Um, and those that that was the scope of our of our search. And one of the things you sort of look for when you do these types of bias searches is you look for um, comparative uh, mentions, which is to say, kind of a, as a as a baseline, like how many times are Palestinians mentioned versus Israeli. Uh, then you look for well, one thing we focused on was the was the asymmetry of emotive language or loaded language with respect to death. So Israelis are are massacred or or, or slaughtered, whereas Palestinians. When they die, it's put. It's not put in these kind of emotive terms. It's more um, anodyne, almost kind of medical. They have left more passive voice. They have they've been left to die, uh, or have been killed uh, by by airstrikes. Um, and then the in the third and fourth thing we looked at in both of our studies, uh, although more so in the one where we looked at the New York Times, LA Times, and Washington Post, was 
the 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 lack of sympathetic uh, focus on the unprecedented amount of children who had died and unprecedented amount of journalists who are died, which are two vulnerable groups that are typically centered in coverage. And the counterexample we used was Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which had uh, dozens of articles about journalists who had been killed and children who had been killed despite being a fraction uh, of a fraction of how many journalists and children had been killed by, by Israeli airstrikes and, and shelling and snipers. And so, and of course, subsequently, um, hunger, disease, things of that nature, not, not to mention those who are maimed, right? 13 children a day are, are having to have one uh, arm or leg or more amputated, uh, oftentimes without an anesthetic. Um, and so those were, that was kind of the focus. We kept it, we tried to keep it really tight, really simple, sort of show the biases, the asymmetry in coverage. Um, because it does matter how a country that's largely responsible for arming and funding um, a, a smaller country, a kind of client state, uh, which which Israel is. Israel doesn't have a manufacturing base to produce weapons at the scale. They don't have the the money to to sustain a a, a, a campaign like this you know, without U.S. support. It's important how how their media covers um, the, the the sort of baseline humanization of the subjects of that bombing and siege. And we we felt like anecdotally and and, and qualitatively we knew that was the case. There's obviously tons of examples. Other studies that had been done showing this. And in fact, a few days before our study, there was a, uh, uh, forgive me, I don't have their names in front of me, but two researchers in, in the UK did a similar analysis of BBC coverage in terms of asymmetry of emotive language, slaughter, horrific. And then there was a, le- uh, a, pub- a progressive publication in Canada called, um, um, oh God, the name, the name's just, the, the Breach, that did a study of the CBC, which is kind of the Canadian equivalent of the BBC, and found a similar asymmetry. And in fact, they actually asked the CBC why they only reserve words like horrific, murderous, slaughter for um, for the killing of, of Israelis versus Palestinians who are not put in those terms. Uh, and the answer they gave was was to say the least very unsatisfactory. Uh, it was it was pretty much a tautology, which is it's different. Well, why? Because it's different. Well, why is it different? Because it's different. Um, as if I, you know, there's some for some reason. Uh, dropping a 2,000-pound bomb on an apartment complex where you know 50 children live, because, again, Israel knows where everyone lives. They have a database, right? Um, that's somehow not a slaughter, but shooting people up close is. Um, the logic's not clear. To say nothing of the fact that Israel also shoots people up close, right? This is not something – this is something they also do, both in the West Bank and Gaza. And so we thought it, um, showing that qu- uh, quantitatively was more powerful and more useful for activists and for people trying to raise awareness to this issue rather than kind of just asserting it. Um, and hopefully it could provide some utility for those who are trying to sort of explain why this issue is not, um, or why this issue is being downplayed. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, to, of course, despite that, a lot of the, uh, especially people who don't get their news from from traditional media, younger people, people under the age of, 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 of 35, especially under the age of 25, don't really get their news from the New York Times and, and CNN. Uh, now they'll sort of trickle down uh, information through kind of normal streams of of, of social interaction, uh, but they get their news more likely from TikTok and Twitter and Instagram and um, YouTube, and that that that's and one of the. Google. When I was talking to young people who were on a de, in a demonstration, I asked them, "How do you like know about these things?" They said, "Just we Google it. We Google, for instance." Right. Gaza, the previous war or checkpoints. Uh, but Adam, you looked at 1,000 articles and you uh, searched under, for instance, Gaza, Israel, Palestine. 
there were very interesting findings. I know you went through uh, some of them, but you also mentioned language. For instance, I think in the article you mentioned like massacre and um, what was it? Uh, hor uh, yeah, horrific and slaughter. We look at those three words. Okay, so that's really what I would consider going on in Gaza. But according to your research, these words were used only when it comes to Israel. And then there was the word children. I want you to elaborate on uh, this, please. Uh, add. Well, the, the war had been had had an unprecedented amount of child deaths for any war in the 21st century. And it wasn't even close in terms of rate of deaths per day. And it still does, by the way. Um, this was uniquely a war on children because as two different investigations that the Washington Post and or rather uh, New York Times and CNN found uh, you know, over 50% of the bombs dropped are dumb bombs. Now, smart, smart bomb is a little bit of a euphemism, but at least there's some pretense of like trying to target something, whereas dumb bombs are, are necessarily used to kill civilians, which because they're, they're, they can't discriminate. So by definition, you kind of just lob them into large urban areas. Um, we, so we know that this is that, that of the you know, numbers, probably somewhere between 27 and 30,000, somewhere between 13 and 16,000 at this point. And this is almost certainly an undercount because they don't, and people under rubble aren't counted by the health ministry. And, and of course, you have people who are dying of secondary and third order issues, uh, di di diabetics who can't get insulin, um, people with cancer can't get surgery. And of course, you have um, people dying of starvation and, and, and disease. So the numbers, these numbers are almost certainly an undercount. I think, I think history will bear that out. So let's say conservatively 15,000 children have died. Um, that, that is, that is completely unheard of in any modern war, uh, warfare. And, 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 and one doesn't like to sort of compare too much because it, I think you run the risk of trivializing the, the amount of deaths that one saw in places like, you know, Syria or Ukraine or, or at the hands of ISIS. So I, I don't want, I don't want to sort of minimize that, but it is as a point of reference, um, unfortunately, I think in, in media criticism, one has to compare it to other conflicts because that's how you show bias. Otherwise, there's nothing really you can, there's no reference point, right? And so um, the, the, the sheer amount of children that were being killed was simply not registering, at least for the, uh, the, the duration of our study, the scope of our study, which was the first six weeks of the war um, until the so-called humanitarian pause in late November that, 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 that lasted about six, seven days. Um, and the focus on children was basically non-existent. Only two headlines used the word the, the word children. One one New York Times analysis of the worst impact on children that was on the front page one day, and then uh, one uh, column in the Washington Post, and that was it. Uh, the unprecedented death on children simply was not a focus. And and I think it's fair to say <clears throat> that if a that if a country outside of the good graces of the U.S. State Department and establishment, say like a Russia or China or Syria or Iran had killed children at that rate, this would have been the, the major focus of the coverage. But instead, deaths in, Palestine, uh, deaths in Palestine were kind of given a perfunctory mention or sort of put in this kind of, uh, um, uh, oh, dearest terms, like this is kind of sad, but it's not really clear who's the author. And the, the sort of idea of targeting children and targeting, uh, which is to say targeting civilians, because they absolutely are targeting civilians. There's an as we note in our article, there was an investigation in the Israeli magazine 972 that showed that part of the Israeli military strategy is targeting civilians, supposedly to kind of erode uh, morale and to erode support for Hamas. But I think the real reason is because it's a it's a it is a genocidal war. They, they they believe everybody in all 2.2 2.3 million are effectively Hamas. They're kind of terrorists or kind of proto-terrorists. Um, so we know that they target civilian infrastructure. Uh, we know that they uh, target civilians.
Um, this has kind of been well established by both Israeli uh, investigations and in <clears throat> common sense, frankly, at this point. I mean, you can look at a, just today. The Guardian had a, a detailed map of the destruction of of mm-hmm. Gaza, and it looks like a it's carpet bombed. I mean, it's literally it's all red, basically. And this is not what you do when you're quote unquote hunting for Hamas or whatever kind of zero dark 30 framework uh the washington post or new york times th- you know tries to use um and so that the focus on the killing of civilians and the killing of children was not really it was sort of seen as as unfortunate uh it was seen as kind of an you know incidental rather than what it was which was part of a broader war strategy and the reason we know it's part of a war strategy is because the israeli leadership said they were going to do that they said they were going to give no mercy to the civilian population uh, president herzog said there's no distinction between civilian and combatants uh they obviously cut off the water uh, food, fuel, electricity. This is not something you do when you're not committing collective punishment. Uh, so we we know they're committing collective punishment. We know that they hold the entire population responsible for what happened on October 7th. Um, but of course, the hatred predates that. Um, right. And so, joining, go ahead, sorry. Uh, if you're just joining us and um, tuning in, we're speaking with Adam Johnson, co-host of the podcast citations needed and he's also a columnist at the intercept where he recently wrote you wrote an article titled um kind of a report coverage of gaza war in the new york times and other major newspapers heavily favored israel analysis uh, shows and go into great detail why why do words matter and how is um Publications like the New York Times, Washington Post, and others across the country and and many European nations, um, how are they providing what some are saying, you know, some sort of political cover for the genocide that's happening there? Why should should these words, why should semantics matter um, when it comes to this type of coverage? Uh, Well, it matters because... For better or for worse, what what liberals in the West think matters to to Israel's ability to commit genocide, which which now the United Nations Genocide Court has found to be quote unquote possible, probable or, or possible genocide, plausible, plausible, plausible rather plausible. Sorry, thank you. Um, and the reason why it matters is because the right is always going to support Israel no matter what, right? Your conservatives, your far right, they're always going to support Israel no matter what. But to make it sustainable and to make it bipartisan, one has to have buy-in from Western liberals, both in Europe and North America, because this is where the, the bulk of their political support in the UN and their military support and their and their uh, armaments, their shelling, their bombs, their 2,000-pound bombs comes from. Uh, and so the liberal support is, is for, for better or for worse, mostly for worse, dispositive. It's sort of like how the Bush administration could not invade Iraq without buy-in from the New York Times. The New York mm. Times, the, the New York Times is 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 effectively king kingmaker and kind of consensus wisdom, especially when there's a Democratic president. And so, what the New York Times and the the people who read it think, unfortunately, matters. Uh, again, I stress unfortunately, but it's simply the way it is. And so, when the New York Times refuses to to provide humanizing perspectives of of Palestinians in Gaza and refuses and, and, and asymmetrically uses language. Um, sorry, the sun just got my eyes here. Well, uh, okay. And asymmetrically uses language um, that only uh, solicits horror when Israelis die versus Palestinians. Um, it has an aggregate effect of, of sanitizing and uh, toning down the, the, the horrors people are seeing. Because, you know, people aren't, 
stupid. They they have social media. They can see toddlers being right. able to rebel. They can see the numbers, the sort of the shocking numbers, the amount of you know how many times do you have to sort of convey the urgency of what's going on. Um, and so there's a whole system in place, and there has been one for decades to to ameliorate that cognitive dissonance to kind of reconcile one's supposed liberalism with one's support of an apartheid state that that unleashes um, unprecedented brutality on 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 the subjective population. Um, and a lot of that, of course, is done through kind of pseudo history. It's done through the erasure of Palestinians as a people. It's it's done through uh, this you know tropes about how they've been fighting for thousands of years. All this kind of orientalist claptrap. Of course, it's done through war on terror frameworks. It's done through pop culture. You know, shows like Twenty Four. Uh, you know, films like True Lies. I mean, we can sort of go on and on and on. There's kind of a constant racist framework, um, and that 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 paired with the New York Times um, sanit- sanitization of what's going on, and the downplaying and the passive voice and the kind of keeping the temperature low. And they have a policy now. CNN, we know for sure, has this policy because it was reported also in the Intercept. Um, I suspect, based on my based on my inferences from reading their headlines, that that the AP and New York Times also have this policy. But they won't even ascribe uh, Israeli responsibility for an airstrike unless until after the IDF confirms it. So you get these rather goofy headlines about you know blast in Gaza kills fourteen or or yeah. or strike without saying who it's from. So even things like that over over the long term. Uh, really downplay the kind of agency of of uh, an intentionality of Israel's death killing, and, to the, and, to, and and one could sort of read an article, and sometimes there's even articles that are seven, eight paragraphs long, and you read it, and it's not clear who's responsible for the for the explosion. And the reason why that is is because Israel, New York Times policy, which again I'm making an assumption, but it's I think it's a fairly informed assumption, is they don't ascribe responsibility to Israel until after the IDF confirms it, which oftentimes can be weeks or days later, or they just don't confirm it at all. Um, and, and to be clear, that is not a standard that the New York Times has had for any other conflict. That is a, that's a totally new standard, especially after October 17th, uh, when, the, um, when there was a hospital uh, shelling in the parking lot that killed two to 300 people, that, that they, there was a whole cry-bully campaign to act like Israel was being libeled. Because the country that dropped 30,000 bombs on a 140-square a mile land, a plot of land in six weeks. Uh, the New York Times wrongfully assumed that that explosion was their responsibility, which they claim it wasn't. Um, it almost certainly was an Israeli shell, but um, mostly because the you know Hamas and PIJ have supposedly fired twelve thousand rockets into Israel, fifteen of which have, yes. have 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 gotten past the Iron Dome, and they've killed twelve people in the first uh, three months. Well, let me ask you uh, this: but, but 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 once but one stray PIJ rocket killed two hundred and fifty people. So go figure. I don't know. We're supposed to believe that, I guess. How how do they continue? How how does the New York Times continue to have any credibility when so many of their stories turn out to be false, or or the things that they were downplaying? Um, you know, especially in the age of social media, where people can obviously see the difference. There was this video, I think that was just. Uh, shared yesterday on social media where these special Israeli forces went into the hospital dressed as civilians, doctors and nurses and women um, and hiding their weapons in cribs, obviously a war crime. But somehow uh, when the New York Times shared it on their social media, they cropped it in a way not to show, for example, that some of them, some of the Israeli soldiers were dressed as in scrubs as hospital staff. Uh, people, you know, were calling that out, but it, it's just in the age of social media. How do they think that they can continue to get away with it? Are they getting away with it, and are they losing credibility? 
You know, that's hard to gauge. Uh, their market is not really people who are that sophisticated or savvy on these issues. I will say internally, I know they've had a lot of dissent. Um, the Intercept also reported that they had they had uh, put on ice a podcast because of some of the journalistic practices of, of an article about uh, systemic sexual violence on October 7th. Uh, they've also had a lot of dissent in terms of like writers uh, resigning protest or, or kind of, uh, you know, not sort of saying we can't just sit here and act like we're neutral arbiters in the face of, again, what, what the UN genocide course has plausible genocide. Um, but in terms of like their broader brand, I mean, look, occasionally they'll sort of do good articles, right? They did that. They did a, you know, front page story about what they do a kind of for every 10 dog shit things or 20 mm-hmm. horrible things they do, they'll do like one that's okay. And that's how they kind of maintain some, some veneer of credibility. Um, but that, that's why it was important for us to be systemic about it. So you can't sort of point to one or two things and be like, oh, we did this really good report where we humanized Palestinians here or there. Um, but overall, they're just stenographers for the IDF. I mean, I mean, uh, uh, Patrick Kingsley especially is just constantly um, doing, uh, you know, IDF says there's 400 miles of tunnels underneath, which is basically they're saying they have no choice but to blow up the entire Gaza Strip. And it's like, according to the IDF, and it's like, well, the IDF lies all the time. The IDF lies all the time. They remember during the Al Shifa hospital had a had a had a Bond villain layer underneath it, if you recall, a sort of Doctor No um, multi tiered chamber. And then they go there, and there's one tunnel that's not even attached to the hospital, and has some has some metal cots and a toilet. That whole thing was a lie. The Washington Post debunked it. The New York Times, of course, doesn't have the doesn't have the balls to debunk it, um, even though they know you can sort of tell their their forensic journalists on social media are, are skeptical of the whole thing. But they don't they don't they don't have the they don't have the the sauce. They're, they're, they're Israel, New York Times is way more pro-Israel than, than than even the Washington Post or CNN. Um, Actually, CNN gets uh, a lot of money from Emirati countries, which is probably why they're bad, but not not as bad. Uh, but um, uh, Adam. Um Actually, because you just mentioned that there is some dissent at the New York Times because they just removed removed a podcast yeah. of a story about uh, the rape that uh, Hamas used systematic yeah, rape. That's what I mentioned, yeah. I think it was terribly uh, debunked or uh, like they doubt who is the uh, writer. Like they do not investigate who is writing these reports and who is writing uh, these news stories. Some of them were former IDF uh, soldiers. But I want to go back to something that you did uh, in the analysis, which is journalists. You covered also and you uh, analyzed how these newspapers cover the killing of journalists and they themselves are journalists so like this is mind-boggling uh can you tell us uh, like what did you find out when it comes to journalism oh well you know i mean over 130 i think at this point journalists have been killed in palestine at the time of our writing it was 48 uh, at the t- time of our study rather it was 48 reporters the vast majority of whom were palestinian i think a handful were israeli and lebanese uh, had been killed, which was which is was was again unprecedented. And we looked at a similar time frame in the first six weeks of the war in Ukraine, when seven journalists had been killed. Um, and there was all kinds of stories about it, uh, sort of nonstop stories about it. You know, as there should be, right? That's that, that's that's ter- perfectly normal and fine. The problem is, is that the other Palestinians don't, are not afforded the same uh, humanization. They're not afforded the same focus on vulnerable groups like journalists and children. They're seen as a kind of unwashed mass who are sort of. It's kind of sad and regrettable, but ultimately it's unavoidable, and they're all just a bunch of human shields anyway, right? Um, and there were the, there was there's been very little focus during our study. There was only nine articles that had in the headline the word journalist, reporter, or some iteration thereof. 
and only four focused on Palestinians out of the three publications, the over 1,100 articles we examined. Um, so the, there was not really a focus on this idea that Israel, and, and it's clear that Israel is targeting journalists. It's, it's clear they're targeting academics. It's clear they're targeting people who are prominent intellectuals in, in Gaza. Uh, people who are, of course, outspoken in Gaza. Journalists' families were being wiped out, which we which we don't even include in our our count, right? I mean, so um, it just wasn't an issue. I, again, if this was any other conflict where a bad guy or sort of official enemy state was carrying out these these mass killings of journalists and their families, it would have it would have been a major nonstop story. And it simply wasn't a factor. I think we counted maybe two really actual stories about that issue. And even that is framed in this kind of agency-free, caught in the crossfire, no sense that they're being targeted. Everything is kind of regretful but incidental. Um, so the coverage is, is, especially during what we studied, the time frame we studied, I don't think it's gotten better, but I can only speak to this, the time frame we studied uh, specifically, is, has been atrocious. I mean, it's not even remotely close to being anything remotely examining objective. And, and again, anyone who studied how bad guy countries, you know, Venezuela, Russia, China are covered, would know that if this was not a U.S. ally and client state, it, we, they would not be getting this this type of, of puffy coverage. And we saw a similar dynamic, you know, many ways with mm. with Saudi Arabia, another kind of regional uh, client state of the U.S. I mean, it, the, their, their bombing of Yemen was consistently downplayed or ignored. Um, I mean, it was it was not as brutal in terms of raw numbers, obviously, and it was spread over or spread out over a long period of time. But similarly, I mean, for example, one study I did in 2018 found that supposed progressive liberal cable network MSNBC didn't cover Yemen once in over a year. Uh, this is while you know thousands of people a month were were, were being bombed by by Obama and, and U.S. Um, uh, intel airplanes bombs. Um, so it's 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 just a sort of similar dynamic one sees with Israel, but Israel because of the the, the sheer the sheer speed and efficiency of the carnage. Is so unprecedented it makes it makes the 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 downplaying even more conspicuous. One more thing I think you looked at uh, finally, Adam, was the hate crimes versus hate crimes yes. against Muslim uh, versus anti-Semitism. Could you address that too? Well, we just did a raw search of, of this was, by the way, before the whole manufactured anti-Semitism crisis supposedly in Ivy League schools. That was total, totally BS. Um, and we found that 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 while there had been comparable amounts of, of anti-Semitic hate crimes, um, which there had been, to be clear, despite despite the ADL saying that everything that Palestinians say is inherently anti-Semitic, there's actually some ways of measuring these things. And there have been high-profile anti-Semitic hate crimes and high-profile anti-Muslim crimes, um, but but anti-Semitism was eighty was the focus of eighty-seven percent of the stories at eighty-seven percent of the mentions versus thirteen percent. On, on anti-Islam uh, violence. And again, that kind of tracks, right? Because Muslims are, are just dehumanized in Western press in general, even, even before October 7th. Um, and so we found an asymmetry in, how, in how, how the hate crimes against these two vulnerable populations were, were, were covered. I really want to thank you, uh, Adam Johnson, for being on True Talk. V a very fascinating piece of uh, uh, work, and um, I'm not sure if you are going to continue or that's it. Yeah, we'll do we'll do some more. My my my, my researcher and co-author has a has a has a lot of on a, has a lot on his plate. He's got a nine to five job, so we're going to try to do some more. I think pretty soon. I want to thank you very much, Adam. Where can people find the citations needed? It's all over uh, podcast. Yeah, it's on the Stitcher, iTunes, etc. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Adam Johnson. Who thank you. 
of the podcast citations needed. Uh, thank you so much for being uh, on uh, True Talk. Thank you. And appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Keep up the good work. I want to see more of this kind of, uh, you know, calling out these publications. I don't think they're going to be hiring you anytime soon. <laughs> no, no, I think that ship sailed a long time ago. Um, you know, maybe uh, giving you a column at the New York Times. Yeah. Well, uh, I did. I, 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 no, I doubt it. Um, all right, y'all. When you get a chance, Adam, check the uh, Washington Post. They have the most horrific uh, cartoon about on the. Oh, I know. I just tweeted about I, it. No, it's horrible. I can't, be, I can't believe it's, it's that. Pure, it's pure, it's yeah. pure genocide incitement. It's like, uh, at this yeah. point, it's, it's, yeah. It's unbelievable. Thank you so much, Adam. Right. Of course, y'all. Have a good day, Thank okay? You. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Ahmed. Well, I mean, it's fascinating. Do you, you have people like Adam that see what's happening, and but obviously, if, you know, if you're a journalist and you want to write stories, and, um, oh, sorry, you're no longer there. Yeah. No, For no, some no. reason, my camera is not on, and it's not working. So if you uh, turn off your camera, then there's nothing on the screen except... No, the but they will see the emblem of uh, WMNF. Which right, but what I was trying to say is, yeah. you know, some of these journalists, if they want to have jobs and careers at mainstream media outlets, they have to play the game, I guess. Or if they actually start becoming outspoken, uh, guess what? They're not going to keep uh, their jobs. Now, looking at the New York Times, and I want to share this with you. I'm looking at the New York Times website right now. You see it on the yeah. screen? Yeah, I see it. So, um, oh, this is an ad at the top. Okay. Now, when when I scroll down, uh, I don't see anything on about Gaza in in the main page, like on top. No, you, you have to really the, something about, about uh, inflation. Senators about tech, uh, Silicon Valley, you know, how to protect children because there's a hearing on the Hill. One big reason migrants about migration. And here's something about sports, Ukraine, Ukraine. And then down here about the Middle East, it basically has Iran says it's not looking for war after U.S. warning over a drone strike. Yeah, where is Gaza? As if nothing is happening in Gaza. And a million things uh, happening in Gaza and uh, with our weapons and with our uh, taxes. But luckily, Ahmed, like Adam said, the young generation is not really going to the New York Times uh, and going. But the ones that vote, the ones that vote and the people with money are going there, right? Uh, Yeah, uh, you know, uh, people who vote and people who are already uh, from that kind of uh, thinking. So they're not going to go to the New York Times and Washington Post and expect to do, uh, to change how they view the world. Uh, you know, they have to have to develop. And sometimes, I don't, I don't know who are you, if it's but sometimes when I'm just looking at my feed, whether it's on Instagram or on um, Twitter, and then you see the headlines coming out of these uh, papers and you're just like, are they living in the same world? No, people die. Like a blast killed. How? Who? Who's How behind it? Um, like as if, you know, I don't know how the, like a house imploded. Uh, uh, On its own? Image. And you know what, uh, from the article that he, uh, Adam wrote, uh, for instance, the children uh, in Gaza are described as minors or minors less than 18. So, okay, if it's a minor less than 18, he could be a one, 
years old or two years old or six months old. So they, I want people who are listening to go to these newspapers and, and read how they describe, for instance, more than 8,000 dead minors, less than minors. years old. <laughs> this is how they Instead of using the word however, uh, on the other side, on the Israel side, they call them children. Yeah, this is mind-boggling. Do we have our next uh, guest? Our now? guest is joining us now, Ahmed Al Naouk. Ahmed Al Naouk. There is, and if you go uh, to Ahmed's uh, uh, Twitter feed, it would be wonderful if you can play. You yeah, send me the link in uh, in the chat here. Oh, in the chat. There's a yeah. Do you see the chat? You could send it to me, and I'll. Okay. Do you see the chat on your screen? Yeah, I see it, Ahmed. Uh, now we're joined by Ahmed Al Naouk, <laughs> live from. Uh, where are you uh, dialing in, Ahmed? Where are you connecting from? Uh, I'm from London. He's in uh, London. He's so, in England. Welcome. This is True Talk on uh, WMNF, hosted by WMNF, and this is live on the radio and the True Talk podcast. Uh, and now we're joined by Ahmed Al Naouk, live from London. He is. And Palestinian from Gaza, and now he's joining us to tell us his story. Summer, go ahead and uh, introduce Ahmed. Ahmed, and I'm also Ahmed, by the way, even though you can't see you on the screen, but I'm also yeah. Ahmed. And so, not to be confused, maybe you have to clarify which Ahmed you're speaking to, Summer. I am speaking to Ahmed Al Naouk. I'm always talking to you, Ahmed Bidir, my co host. But Ahmed is a journalist who is based in London and uh, he is also the co founder of We Are uh, Not Numbers. And Ahmed Al Naouk, I just asked Ahmed to go to your Twitter feed because you have the most wonderful, I think, 20 minutes uh, of. Uh, uh, a summary of what happened to you, what happened to your family. But also, uh, just before you joined us, Ahmed, we were talking to uh, Adam Johnson, who uh, he did an analysis of 1,000 articles in the New York Times and Washington Post and LA Times, where he um, shows the amazing bias uh, sometimes by omission and sometimes by using certain words to describe, for instance, the children in Israel versus minors under 18, rather than saying uh, Palestinian uh, children. But Ahmed went through the most horrific experience while he was uh, in London. Um, can you uh, tell us, Ahmed, what happened to your family in Gaza? Um, thank you very much for having me. What happened to my family is that they were sleeping in their home at 4 a.m. when an Israeli um, F-16 bombed my home and uh, killed my family. Um, there was in my home my father, my two brothers, my three sisters, and 14 nieces and nephews all killed in one airstrike. That was on the 22nd of October, 2000. How, how did you get the news? How did you find out? Um, I was sleeping in my home uh, in London when I woke up uh, suddenly and I panicked. I did not know what's going on. Uh, then I opened my phone and uh, I received the news from friends who lived there in, uh, in the Rivella. They told me your home was bombed and your family were killed. That's what, he told, what they told me. Oh my God. 
I don't know what to say, Ahmed, Allah yirhamhum. I, I vividly remember uh, seeing you on an interview, I think immediately after uh, they were all uh, murdered by Israel, you went on uh, some British uh, news and the lady would not even say how they died. Could you tell us about that uh, interview? I think it might have been your first interview in the English language. Uh, that was my first interview in the ministry media after I lost my family. And uh, I'm a journalist. Of, uh, I know how social media operates. I did my master's degree in the UK. The dissertation on my master's was about the Western media bias on, on Palestine. So they depicted my story as they always do. They said Ahmed lost 21 members of his family. So for people who uh, don't know, me, they would, maybe they would have thought that uh, my family were lost to cancer or a car accident, or they just died, or that they, they they died they died while they were sleeping. But that was the problem with the media; they never named the killer. And they wrote a story about that before when Israel killed Shirin Abu Akla. The media would never name the the killer when it is Israel, but they would name it when it's the Palestinian. So that was my first media interview with the with the ministry with the ministry media in the UK. And yes, they interviewed the Palestinians because, you know, you know, the problem with the Western media is that they always interview the Palestinians. They invite us to the stage uh, to talk about tragedy, but we are not allowed to name the killer. We are not allowed to uh, vent our emotions. We They just want to say that uh, here's a human tragedy and that's it, but we're not allowed to talk about the context of our tragedy, who caused our tragedy, how it happened. We're not allowed to criticize those who killed our families. We're not allowed to name the killer. That's a problem. So yes, for them, I lost the 21 members of my family. It's not that Israel killed the 21 members of my family, including 14 children. No, I lost them. They just disappeared. So you corrected her, I think. Uh, I, I, I criticized the Western media complicity. No, uh, during that, the interview, yeah. uh, during that no. particular interview, you said no. Uh, no, no I, uh, I I said that I did not lose my family. Israel killed my family on Twitter when they published that interview. Uh, you know, when you are in that interview, you don't... Uh, it was still fresh, the incident, and I wasn't... Uh, I was still uh, struggling mentally, but anyway... Uh, it, it, the problem started when I criticized the Western media during that interview, and then the host said, uh, they, she asked me not to wage a war of hate and words when I said the Western media is complicit. Yeah, but that wasn't the worst interview. The worst interview was uh, another one with, uh, with Talk TV. Can you tell uh, us about Yes, it was only a few days after that, and uh, they interviewed me. They asked me to come to their studio to talk. And then when uh, when when I told them that Israel killed my family, they hosted that it's just collateral damage. Uh, oh, my it's, God. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay that I lose my family. It's okay that Israel kills uh, the Palestinians. And then he blamed the Palestinians. He blamed the Palestinians. Uh, the, the interviewer said well, it's the Gazans' fault because they did not revolt against Hamas. They did not stand up against Hamas. And then when I asked him if uh, if the Palestinians uh, did not uh, stand up against Hamas, does that give Israel the right to carpet bomb Gaza to kill everyone? And he said to me, yes, that gives Israel the right to kill everyone. Uh, 
So that was a. How could my... you? How could you sit there and listen to this? I mean, they they don't look at us as humans. No, no, no. We're not humans. No. Oh my God! He didn't think of like the the pain that you are going through. The you 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 couldn't even process the grieving. No. No, because for for them we are not humans. We are less worthy of the humans. We are the most important with the with the Western media. The most important part in this conflict is Israel for them. It's Israeli lives that matter. The Palestinians' lives don't matter. When I told them that Israel already killed twenty thousand Palestinians, they said, "No, this is uh, this is a lie." Uh, so for for them it doesn't matter. No matter how much we lose, no matter how much we uh, we are being killed, it doesn't matter for them. What matters for them is the Israeli. Israeli soldiers, Israeli civilians, Israeli children, but for them, the Palestinian civilians and children are not uh, are not the same, are not as worthy as the Israelis. So for them, if, if Hamas killed uh, an Israeli or two or a thousand, that gives Israel justification to kill all the Palestinian children and women and civilians. This is their parameter. Uh, I just want to remind our listeners we are talking to Ahmed Al-Nauq. Uh, He's a journalist, Palestinian journalist, and uh, he is based in London. And he lost uh, more than 21 uh, family members. And I'm sure you have lost friends also. Um, I'm not sure if my co-hosts can play this uh, segment, uh, which is on your Twitter uh, feed. Uh, what was that part of uh, Ahmed? Because it's it's a long, uh, maybe 20 minutes. You kind of summarize what happened to you, but also the uh, media. But you also mentioned something very important, which our Western media does not pay attention to, which you have been, as Ahmed and as your late mother, Allah Yerhamha, have been suffering before October 7. So can you tell us and, and share the story? Because people think our death and uh, and all that is happening to the Palestinians just happened because of October 7. But no, you have been suffering way before that, uh, you and uh, your late mother. Can you so my, Let me just play the uh, okay. clip okay. of that first and then we're going to Okay, okay. There are already 6,000. Palestinian children killed. My nieces and nephews were cut into pieces. Their body parts were everywhere, mixed with the stones and the rocks of my family's house. And we're seeing the politicians, the journalists, turning a blind eye. Some people actually commented, Hamas killed your family, blame Hamas. But we know who killed our families. We know who these F-16 belong to. We know our killers, we know our murderers, and we will never forgive them. The kind of retaliation that Israel is doing in Gaza amounts to war crimes. Bombing hospitals, bombing schools, bombing mosques, bombing churches, bombing refugee camps. And yes, you covered what happened on the 7th of October, good for you. Now cover what Israel is doing to Gaza. They don't. They don't think of us as equally human beings. Palestinians die, Israelis killed. Palestinians are terrorists, Israeli army, no. Although if you compare and contrast between the casualties of the Palestinians and the Israelis, when it comes to the civilians, the number of Palestinians would be 100 times higher. When the media cares about 40 beheaded babies, fake news, and then people get this first impression, they keep this first impression, and then the first impression in media always lasts forever. And then after a day or two, 
they changed that, but people already got the impression, and it's very difficult to erase this impression. It happened with Shirin Abu Akla, for example. They killed Shirin Abu Akla, the journalist, and then they said, Miss Abu Akre was killed by Palestinian terrorists' fire. And we all know it was a lie. But the Western media, right away, they took the news from the Israeli army. Israel's prime minister called the death unfortunate and blamed it on Palestinians, claiming they were, quote, firing indiscriminately. An official even took credit for their, quote, PR blitz, saying they had successfully influenced the Associated Press and BBC's coverage to cast doubt over who had killed Shireen. A few months later, the Israelis said, ah, no, it was ours. But it was so late. On Monday, the Israeli military admitted for the first time that Shireen was likely killed by one of its soldiers. The army will not be pursuing a criminal investigation, however. They did the same thing with the bombing of the hospital. They said, no, it's a Palestinian missile. Oh, come on, do you think we're stupid? It landed on the right place, on the right time, over the hospital that you already warned to evacuate. But the media would pick up that, and that would be the first impression. The Palestinians killed themselves, and then now they came up with another lie. A baby baked in an oven. Come on. And then a few days later, they said, no, actually, this is not actually true. And the media always repeats these lies. And with these lies, they are creating the cover for Israel to commit its massacre. They're creating an atmosphere that Israel is dealing with a very, very dangerous inhumane enemy and this enemy is not Hamas it's this enemy is all the Palestinian people because the Palestinian people are Hamas and Hamas is ISIS so the Palestinian people are ISIS and we're dangerous we should get rid of them we should kill them all we should displace them send them to Sinai and you draw this all of this picture at the same time Israel is doing all of that on us they are literally killing us live on the news every day and thousands of people are being killed thousands of children are being murdered and massacred and were screaming to the media please cover that talk about it and they just don't if you're just joining us this is true talk on wmnf 88.5 fm ahmed my co-host and i are talking to ahmed al-nawq who's a palestinian journalist based in uh, england and you just uh, listened to a short documentary uh, that he did and i was asking ahmed before uh, this uh, segment uh, to tell us about the fact that you have been suffering as a resident of gaza and your family has been suffering uh, way before uh, october 7 because of the occupation and the siege. And I asked you to tell us about what happened to your mother. Yes, what happened to my mother happened to many other Palestinians, hundreds of other Palestinians. My mother was diagnosed with cancer in 2018, I believe. And then my mother needed uh, urgent treatment. Uh, in other cases, in other countries, my mother would have... Uh, maybe been cured of cancer, but unfortunately she needed to receive a treatment from outside of Gaza Strip to the West Bank. So we have been, uh, we tried in so many times to apply for her to get a permit to go to the West Bank to receive a treatment, but the Israelis delayed and delayed and delayed of giving her a permit and then she eventually died. And she died not be, not only because of cancer, but because the Israelis refused to give her a permit to receive a treatment, radiotherapy from the West Bank. And this story no one knows about if in the media 
they don't know that Palestinians are dying, Palestinian patients are dying literally every day because of the siege, because of this coll collective punishment of the Palestinians in Gaza. And we just die in silence and no one knows anything about uh, about our tragedy. This didn't happen only to my mother, it ha it's happening. It has been happening to hundreds and thousands of Palestinian patients since the, uh, the beginning of this collective punishment of the siege uh, 17 years ago. I want and to ask you, yeah. go, go ahead, Ahmed. It started before that. It started when, uh, it, it's, uh, it actually started in 1917 when, when England, when, mm -hmm. when the UK gave the Belfort Declaration to the Zionist militia to come to our homeland, to kick the Palestinians out of their homes and lands and to establish their country on the ruins of our cities and, and villages. Uh, my grandparents and their grandparents, were, they did not live in Gaza. They were in mm -hmm. Beri Saba and they were in Yafa and they were kicked out of their homes and lands to live in refugee camps in the Gaza Strip. And ever since we have been living in a tragedy, Ever since we have been living under war, under siege, under military occupation, under starvation, under so many inhumane uh, circumstances, we have all been, the, the, the blight of the Palestinian people has been ongoing for the past 75 years and so and, and more. But for the Western media, they only start their coverage on Palestine when the Palestinians react, when the Palestinians do anything, they start uh, starting their coverage, but they never give a context to the real situation in Palestine. And for that, many of the Western media audience, they don't know that the Palestinian people are living under military occupation, military occupation for the past 75 years. They don't know that 70% of the Palestinians in Gaza are actually refugees who did not come from Gaza, who came from Beresaba, who came from Yafa, who came from Haifa, who came from cities and villages that were destroyed and they were kicked out of. They don't know that the Palestinian people in Gaza have been living under collective punishment of the siege for the past 17 years. They don't know that half of the Palestinian population are, population are not actually living in Palestine. They're living, they're living outside Palestine for the past 75 years as refugees in refugee camps in Lebanon, for example, who are living in very inhumane circumstances. They don't know that 2 million Palestinians live in Israel right now and they are they have Israeli citizenship, but they are treated like second-class citizens. They don't know that almost 3 million Palestinians live in the West Bank under daily inhumane occupation, military occupation, checkpoints, settlements. And if you go to the West Bank and you hear the stories from the Palestinians, the life that they are having in, in, in the West Bank is intolerable. And the media doesn't cover that. The media only covers when a Palestinian kill, uh, kills an Israeli soldier or whatever. And that's where the story started. But it is our responsibility to remind the Western media and to, to remind the world that the story did not start on the 7th of October. It started 75 years ago when the Palestinians were kicked out of their homes and lands and they were made refugees. They were forced to leave their homes and lands and to live under um, in, in, in refugee camps in Gaza and the West Bank in Jordan, Syria and Lebanon and all around the world. If you're just joining us again, this is True Talk on WMNF 80.5 and the True Talk podcast. We're speaking with Palestinian journalist Ahmed Al-Nauk, who, uh, who is based in London. Um, we're seeing the atrocity, especially on social media. It's not being covered in the mainstream media. What do you think Israel's goal is here in Gaza and throughout Palestine? The, the Israel goal? Yeah, Israel's goal. They say they're going after Hamas. What would you believe? Well, what are they really doing? 
I think we all know, and uh, everyone who has a little bit of, of, of intelligence, they should know that Israel is not after Hamas. And maybe I, I would dare to say that Israel likes that Hamas is there in Gaza because it gives them the uh, the excuse to carpet bomb Gaza. Israel is not after Hamas. Israel is after all the Palestinian people. There is no Hamas in the West Bank, and yet they increase, yet they, they, they continue with their settlements, with evacuating the Palestinians from their homes and land. Israel is after every Palestinian existence in this land. They don't want the Palestinians to be there. They want to ethnically cleanse the Palestinians and all the Palestinians, everything that's not Jewish, they want to ethnically cleanse them from the from historic Palestine between the river and the sea and make them go away. And these plans were not secret. We all know about them. They have been clear about them. Since the 7th of October, we have seen many, many Israeli officials uh, calling for ethnically cleansed the Palestinians from Gaza and driving uh, them away to Sinai to live there. They said that, that many times, live on TV, uh, on many occasions, many of them said that they were they actually encouraged the army to drop uh, a nuke on Gaza because they want to kill the Palestinians. These people don't like us. They hate us. They hate us just because we are Palestinians. They hate us just because we are living in this land. And their goal is to end the Palestinians' existence from the land between the river and the sea. That's a problem. Sorry about that. Um, so it's so obvious to us, especially the people that are following, how is it that Western uh, media and Western officials, including in the UK where you are, and in the United States continue to repeat what many of us see as lies that somehow that they're only going after Hamas when it's obvious, when in their own words, they're saying there are no innocent people, there are no uh, uh, civilians in Gaza, that everyone is a target. Uh, how is it that they continue to, to say these lies with straight faces? Even Netanyahu himself has come on and said he does not want a case to two-state solution that there can never be a Palestinian state. Uh, the lies are being exposed, yet Western powers and media continue to provide somehow cover or not cover what they're saying. Yes, because uh, because Israel is used to, to being above the law. Israel is used to having all of the impunity that they want, that they can do whatever they want and no one can blame them. And unfortunately, the friends and the allies of the of Israel is the UK and Europe and 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 uh, and America. They're providing Israel with the cover. They're providing Israel with whatever they need to continue ethnically uh, the ethnic cleansing of the Palestinian people. And I dare to say that uh, I believe that the UK and America are complicit in this war of crimes against the Palestinian people because America. I mean, we all know that the US with all its mighty power and intelligence and the CIA and every that, they know what Israel is about. They know the Israeli um, logic and mentality. They know the Israeli plans and what they want to do, but they are still giving Israel the cover. They still Israel, giving Israel the, uh, the, the missionary and army to, to kill the Palestinians. So they are actually complicit against the Palestinian people. We're going to we're gonna have to leave it there because we're out of time. Thank you so much for your time. We hope to have you back on. And this has been an episode, another show of True Talk on WMNF, WMNF Tampa. The news should be on next. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you, Ahmed.